Let's chat a little bit about young men, what they're facing these days. They're rolling into a world that's telling them so many things that they're confused. That's exactly right. The feminist movement uh, has had a devastating impact on men, especially young men. And when you have universities like Brown University and and, and other Ivy League schools, as well as some of the schools in the South that are teaching classes about overcoming toxic masculinity, the, the, the message there is very damaging to, to men because, again, when you combine toxic with masculinity, there, there's, there's no validity to it because masculinity, as defined by the Bible, masculinity is not toxic. Toxic men is one thing, and there are some bad men out there that do bad things that uh, that can't be tolerated. But you look at the University of Texas. Now, keep in mind, this is Texas. University of Texas Department of Psychology actually declared masculinity a mental disorder. This is about four years ago. I mean, think about that. What does that say? But you know, Chip... A lot of this came from the Marxist movement in America. You see, in 1958, the Communist Party USA wrote a book called The Naked Communist. And in that book, they told us exactly how they would take over America, what they would do to actually make this a Marxist communist country. And they targeted men. And they told us they were going to target men. They were going to try to do all kinds of things to, to, to reduce the role and the importance of men. So now you've got a message coming out that basically says you're no different than a woman. In fact, if you want to be a woman, you, you can be. And, I, and you can edit this, but I can tell you very easily how to determine whether you're a man or a woman. You know, right. It's not that hard. No. In fact, when you come out of the womb... They didn't say, well, this is Chip. They said it's a boy. Right. Yeah, there's an easy way to tell. And, but, but we've got a message that men, if you don't want to be a man, you don't have to be. That's the big lie, as far as I'm concerned, within the kingdom. That's the big lie, and that is right out of the pits of hell, is, is this whole idea that you can change your gender if you choose to. That's not right. The Bible says God made them male and female, and it repeats that later. So this is what men are dealing with today. And it is, uh, that, that's one of the reasons that we don't have, we have so many absentee fathers. If you're a black baby born in America today, the chances that your parents are not married is over 70% and climbing, and it hasn't always been that way. No. You know, back in the 60s, the, the black family was a very coherent it was. unit. Yeah. And, uh, and, and this is, and so many black leaders now are coming out and saying, men, get back in the homes. Men, marry, your, marry the woman. And, and the black leaders are starting to take a, a, a real leadership role in this message. But it's destroying all of America. And if you, it's about a 50% chance. Uh, regardless of your 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 race, in fact, the race that has the strongest intact family today are the, actually the Asians. Yeah, and uh, and family values are very important to them. 
but this whole idea that uh, that 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 men don't have a responsibility that is unique, that is different from that of a woman, is just destroying, you know, the I think masculinity in America today. Why is it so offensive? Why? Why? You know, I often hear terms. You know, you can't say this anymore. And I wonder to myself, who, well, who's the committee that decided that? And where did that even come from? And and who's and how is it being put upon us and so forth? Um, but. Why is it so aggravatingly offensive to some people? Well, again, it goes back to this whole idea of the Marxist movement. You know, they have, <clears throat> part of what they've done is they've, they've worked on our minds. You know, they've, they've, they've gone after our, our thought process. They've created a new language like, for example, marriage equality instead of same-sex marriage. The right to choose instead of abortion. Mm-hmm. And they've created a new vocabulary, and, and, and each generation coming up, you know, they pick up that, that vocabulary. And, uh, and that was one of the ways that, uh, that they've really denigrated and downgraded the role of men in this country. Let me say this, and, and some will find this hard to digest, but I believe that men are created to be warriors, Exodus 15.3 says, the Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. And Revelation 19 says, when a man comes, I mean, when, when Jesus comes back, he's coming back riding a white horse, wearing a blood-stained white robe, leading a mighty army with a sword coming out of his mouth. He's coming back as a warrior. Right. I think men come out of the womb meant to be warriors, and I think that's part of the identity crisis is because our society is telling them just the opposite. Now, a warrior is not somebody that's going around looking for a fight all the time. The warrior is the one that has a transcendent cause. You know what you value. You know what's important to you. You know what you're willing to sacrifice for. You know what you're willing to serve for. And God forbid, but you know what you're willing to die for. Mm -hmm. You know, these men and women that come into the military that say, I I do solemnly swear that I'll support and defend the Constitution of the United States. They are taking an oath that puts them in that situation to where they are serving the American people by by their faith and fidelity to the Constitution of the United States. They serve it, they sacrifice for it, and some of them wind up dying for it. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. You don't have to be in the military. You need a transcendent cause because you come out of the womb meant to be a warrior. But society tells you something entirely different. Society tells you, it gives you a different story altogether. I know of a private school in Virginia that has a masculine studies program. It's a it's an all boys school. That is headed by a woman. Mm-hmm. See, how in the world can a woman explain? I, I've been married for over thirty years. I, it, I maybe you can give me some insight into the mind of a female. But no, I, don't put that one on me. <laughs> no. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So to, to think that there is a woman who's going to be in charge of masculine studies at this school, I, I don't even understand the mentality of the person who decides. And this is an Episcopal school. So anyway, we well, can, let me ask you a question. Yeah. How many Sunday school classes for 
prepubescent boys are taught by women. Most of them. Most of them. Right. Don't ever do that. I remember I remember as one of those prepubescent boys, and this woman was teaching, she said, if you even think about a woman, the Bible says you have sinned. If you think about her in a lustful way. Well, my hormones were raging, right, and I thought right, 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 right then, well, I can't, I don't I, I mean, I'd lay down every night and confess, God, I did, I did it again. Yeah. You don't need to hear that from a woman. Yeah. At that age, especially. What you need to hear from a man is you're going to struggle with this. You're going to struggle with this, but don't let it get the best of you. Correct. You, you, you keep your eyes on Jesus. You're, you're going to have these struggles. We need a man teaching them. You do. I remember uh, a couple of times when the boys were growing up that uh, we were dealing with some issues and discipline and so forth. I remember having a conversation one time with my wife saying, uh, you know, honey, you're going to have to trust me on this. There's a reason a football coach gets into a young man's face and yells at him through that helmet. A, a certain, until it reaches a certain decibel, sometimes they just don't even hear it. And uh, and as 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 well-meaning as some women are, right. there's just there's there's no replacement for that voice and that and that leadership from a man. Chip, that's a great point. In fact, I write about it in Man to Man. A mother's perspective is certainly different. It's supposed to be different than a father's. The mother wants to get through this crisis as quickly as possible. The father is looking beyond this crisis and saying no. There's something deeper that we need to deal with now before it becomes a major crisis in the future. But the mother just wants to wants peace. Yeah. She wants peace in the family. She wants everything to go back to normal. And the father has to be the one that's looking long range right. and saying, no, there's an issue here we need to deal with. And each has their role. Right. My wife is the most wonderful nurturer she nurtures her boys in ways that I have not got the capacity to do so. I, I, I just, I, it doesn't even add up. And uh, on top of that, she's a phenomenal cook. And, you know, we, always, we used to always say, when in doubt, <laughs> feed the boys. Yeah. yeah. All right, so you've talked about this before, and I, I, want, you to, I want people to hear this uh, from you again. Uh, Jesus. Jesus was a, was a man. He was a real man. He was a carpenter. So elaborate on that. Yeah, I was in uh, Israel. I, I've spent a lot of time in Israel, but I was I was in Israel, looking out over the the Valley of Megiddo, and I looked. I turned and I looked back at Nazareth, which is where Jesus grew up, and I thought, now he had to come up this this mountain here, and he had to fell the tree, and then he had to get it back down. There in the Bible, if you look up the word carpenter, it's really constructor. Mm-hmm. So he had to get this wood back down the mountain. He had to shape it, cut it, and, but he also worked with stone. Okay, so here's a guy that's that's doing all this manual labor. He's lifting these heavy stones and he's he's working with heavy wood. And what do you think Jesus might have looked like? Do you think he might have had some some big veins in his arms, and you think he might have had some broad shoulders and a narrow waist, kind of like you and me. <laughs> Do you think he might have been a man's man? Yeah. I mean, he was a constructor. And we we portray him as being a very passive man. 
The reality is when he walked in the temple that day, what did he do? He stopped and made a, a whip. Now, he wasn't swatting flies with that. No. Come on. Yeah. He walked in that temple with that whip in his hand. And, uh, and he turned the tables over. Right. And he ran them out of there. That's a man's man. Right. And he was not a wimp by any imagination. No. But we feminize Jesus in the church. We focus on Jesus' love. He is absolutely. But he's also a God of accountability. He's the son of God, and, is, and, and, and his, he's about justice and accountability, too. And one day, one day, we're all going to stand before him, you know, at the judgment seat of Christ. Not the great white throne judgment. I am, I'm not going to be there because I'm, I'm, I've been redeemed by his blood. Right. But I'm still going to stand and give an account of what I've done since he saved me. What I've done with the gifts he gave me, with the resources he gave me, with the opportunities he gave me, with the people that he sent my way, that I recognize that this was a time for me to to represent him? Yeah. Or did I was I scared? You know? Right, right. Well, great way to segue into the next thing I want to talk about. And that is you've got a great career, you're doing some great things at Family Research Council. You're speaking at events. What 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 do you have ahead of you? What where's your ministry going? What are you doing? What are the needs that you're seeing? Elaborate on that a little bit. I am really focused on men right now, and uh, at the Family Research Council, we actually uh, a year and a half ago we 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 created a men's ministry, and we call it Stand Courageous, and we're going uh, around the country and. Uh, and conducting men's conferences. And uh, Tony Perkins and I are uh, a couple of the speakers. Uh, Stu Weber yeah. is a speaker. Uh, Larry Jackson, Bishop Larry Jackson out of uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, who was with Promise Keepers for 20 years. And then we've got, uh, we, we have uh, had people like uh, uh, a Hispanic pastor, Joaquin Molina out of a, huge uh, Hispanic church down in uh, Miami that has spoken for us. And then we have, uh, we have some breakout sessions that, with people like uh, Jay Reemersma, who works for Family Research Council, nine years in the NFL, you know, and uh, uh, he, he can really get men's attention and talk to them, especially the younger guys, you know. Right, right. So that is part of what uh, I'm really committed to this in the future. I've got another book uh, that I'm uh, thinking of writing now. I've been giving a presentation for a couple of years, uh, uh, and I use four Latin phrases and one Greek phrase, and I say if we could, if we could just learn to do these things, uh, we could really change the world. And each of these Latin phrases has been used by some military organization. Mm. For example, uh, the, the very first one is sua sponte. Sua sponte. Well, what it means is on my own accord, or this I freely give. It can be translated as this I freely give. Well, that's the message. Jesus went to Calvary. You can't earn it. He went to Calvary for you. 
Correct. He went there and died, gave his life on his own accord, freely. All you have to do is accept it. Mm. But people are still trying to earn their salvation. But where did that come from? Where did that, where was it popularized? It was popularized in World War II by a unit called Merrill's Marauders. In the China-Burma-India theater, where these 3,000 volunteers, all of them were volunteers, went into the jungle of Burma to try and stop the Japanese from invading South China, where Chiang Kai-shek and the Nationalist Army uh, had dug in and they were there to defend China against the Japanese. 3,000 men went in that jungle. And 10 months later, they came out with 300. They gave their lives freely. Right. What the Japanese didn't get, the jungle got. And, and, the, and, and to read about them is an absolutely fascinating story. And one of my mentors at Hampton Sydney College there, General Sam Wilson, was with Merrill's Marauders. Wow. And he received the second highest award for Ballard, the Distinguished Service Cross. But I, I use these kind of examples and say, now who today carries that same motto. Mm -hmm. It's the 75th Ranger Regiment, the finest infantry in America's military. The Rangers, these tough, young, rugged guys, and their motto is sua sponte. Well, I was, I was one of the original members of the 1st Ranger Battalion at Fort Stewart, Georgia, and mm -hmm. the commander of that unit would stand up and he'd say, men, you're the descendants of Merrill's Marauders. Their motto was sua sponte, this I freely give. And one day your nation may ask you to do the same thing that they did with these men. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you willing? And you need to think about it because you're the descendants of these great men, these great warriors. Well, if we as Christians could understand that we need to take that message that Jesus you can't earn it. All the ritual in the world is not going to earn you a place in heaven. You know, it's okay if you if you you know you do these things, but they're not. That's not salvation. Baptism is not salvation. You know, you you need to be baptized, but it's not salvation. Communion is not salvation. Just confess your sins. And believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. First John 10, 9. You know, if we believe in our heart that Jesus raised him from the dead. So, you know, we need to take that message. But I have five of those phrases. The last one being Molan LeBay, which is, you know, come and take it. Which was Leonidas at the Battle of Thermopylae in 480 B.C. Mm -hmm. when Xerxes says, lay down your weapons. And Leonidas sent the word back, Molan LeBay, come and take it. Yeah, Come and take my weapons. And he and his 300 Spartans, this is what the movie 300 is based on, mm -hmm. he and his 300 Spartans stood there and died. They fought and died in that pass, in that narrow pass there, while the rest of the Greeks went home and evacuated the cities and saved their families. Well, our, attack, our, our faith is under such attack today that if we as Christians don't stand up and fight for it, we're not going to have... 
the freedom to worship. You look at what's happening in college, I mean, in the churches today. Mm-hmm. You look at how churches have more restrictions on them than strip clubs and bars and casinos and everything else. And and in California, for example, you could have ten people. Or, or here's the best one in California: you can't sing in church right. because it spreads COVID. You think about that. What's that all about? It's about shutting down the churches. It's about stopping us from worshiping because you cannot be a Marxist nation if you believe in God. Correct. You have to believe in man. You have to believe that your rights emanate from man. Now, I've gotten off on a tangent here, but I'm passionate about this. But that's the book that I'm thinking about yeah. writing here in the well, future. Well, it needs to be said because if we, again, if we, as we as men, and that's why we're having this conversation, we as men don't stand up. Especially right. now, right. the darkness will invade the light. Right. And I think part of what we talked about earlier about what is it that aggravates and stirs them up is that people don't like light and darkness. The, the folks that are, that are up to some shenanigans can't do it in the light of day. And so it's our responsibility to be that salt and light in the world. That's right. Absolutely. Men love darkness because their hearts are evil. Right. Uh, I think that's biblical. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, that's exactly right. And look, first of all, we're all sinners. All of us. Redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But we need to understand that uh, you look at men like Billy Graham. Well, I can tell you that a young pastor that he mentored told me that he asked Billy Graham one time, he said, he was new in the in the ministry. He said, "Billy, he said, what a, what's going to be the most difficult thing for me now as a minister?" You know what Billy Graham said to him? He said, "Women." Mm. Billy Graham said, "Your biggest problem is going to be women." And 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 you know the stories, and they're true because I've, I've I've talked to his family about it. That Billy would not let a woman be in a hotel room on either side of him Correct. when they were traveling. That's right. He was very cautious. He had his battle buddies. He had his battle buddies. That's exactly right. Right. And he knew. He didn't take anything. You see, when when you think that something is not a vulnerability, that's exactly when you're going to tell you. Let me tell you a story. That's exactly right. My mother does not have a high school education. She has Alzheimer's right now, but... uh, I tell you, she was my my spiritual mentor. Mm -hmm. But I said to her one day, I said, well, I'll tell you, the one thing that Satan will never get me on is adultery. He'll never drag me into And my mother said to me, and this is a woman with no high school education, but she said, are you stupid? Yeah. I said, what? She said, you just told him exactly where to attack you because you don't think that's a vulnerability. That's right. Well, I tell you, I backed away from that. I, didn't, I never did that again, and it dawned on me. She's exactly right. I was just telling the enemy oh, how yeah. to attack me. Absolutely. So don't think you're invulnerable. No, yeah. no. At the moment, and I've heard, I've seen people do it. I've seen it in churches when they start to speak up about you know things that they're not going to be exposed to or that they're not having an issue with or whatever else, and then bam, yeah, it just moves in on them. That's right, and and you you've got to be vigilant all the time. As Peter said, our adversary Satan walketh about like a roaring lion. Exactly. Seeking whom he might devour. Look, we're in a spiritual battle. When you when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're in a spiritual battle. But you don't have to fear it. 
again, you put that whole armor on. Yeah. And you've got to realize that as that roaring lion, he's also trying to separate you from the pack so that you are vulnerable. And if he can isolate you and get you like that, that's when he's going to come in on you. That's exactly right. And let, let me say one thing here, too, on while we're in this, not anything you've asked me about, but I, I think it, it's worth saying this to the men that will be watching this thing today. And that is uh, how you treat your wife. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the Bible says that uh, we should love our wives as God loved the church meaning we should be willing to die for her. But this is not, in my view, this is not a physical death. It is dying to self and putting her first and, and being willing to sacrifice for her. So when, when it says, as God loved the church or as Jesus loved the church, I really think that's what we need to be focused on as men in a, in a marital relationship is, being willing to put aside our desires, our needs. And she's going to do the same thing Absolutely, for you. absolutely, which draws the two of you even closer that's together. That's right. exactly right. But that's, that's our attitude should be just that. And, uh, and by the way, uh, the greatest compliment a man can have is for his daughter to want to marry a man just like him. Isn't it the truth? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Because she's seen how you treat her mother. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I thank you for your time. It's been great. It's been yeah. great. And we're my gonna, we're, yeah, we're going to do this again some other time if we can. And uh, I'd like to uh, I'd like to have uh, Aaron join us at some point if we can work that out. Uh, that would be great. I think that he'd be a great addition. Maybe what we ought to do is put Sam in this seat and Aaron over there I think and two of us get are. out of the way. That's exactly what we need to do. Yeah. We've got two stalwart young men that understand what a man is supposed to be and what a Christian man is supposed Absolutely. to be. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Chuck. God bless you, buddy. God bless you, brother. What does it mean to be a man in today's world? And what does God intend for men and boys to be? Some would say that men should just sit on the sidelines, but God wants something different for His men. He wants you to stand courageous. There's an all-out deliberate assault on masculinity, and we have got to start taking back our role as men. Men, it's time. It's time to return to biblical masculinity. The women in your churches don't know how to tell you, but they really want you to be a man. At the San Courageous Men's Conference, in addition to founding Delta Force member General Jerry Boykin, you'll hear from FRC President Tony Perkins, Pastor Stu Weber, Bishop Larry Jackson, and others who will help guide you as a man to be a provider, battle buddy, instructor, defender, and chaplain in your home and in your spheres of influence. It's been a very convicting weekend for me, but I'm also encouraged. My son's enjoyed it. It's been a really great experience. God moved, the Holy Spirit moved, so many people were touched. I encourage you, if a Stand Courageous event comes to your city, get up and go. You'll hear solid biblical teaching and get tools to grow in your walk as a man. Bring your teenage sons, bring your dad, bring a friend. Stand Courageous with us. Visit StandCourageous.com for more information.